From Westside Church in Bend, Oregon, you're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. I'm Evan Earwicker, and we're here again with Pastor Steve Mickle. Hello, everybody. And this week we're actually at our uh, Denomination Foursquare, our district conference here in beautiful Beaverton, Oregon. How nice of you to travel with us, Steve. Yes, it's wonderful. I'm glad we're not we staying in the same room. But, no, we're not. You know. I'm with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're about to head in and speak uh, at a workshop at this conference, and so you're going to hear us discussing kind of how we interact as uh, Ben and I in our generation's ministry, and Pastor Steve as our lead pastor. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation, you guys, because I see a huge gap in a lot of churches between people who work in children's and youth uh, and college mm-hmm. age with the lead pastor, and um, not just a relational gap, but a vision gap. And and so to be able to talk to some other leaders in our denomination about it will be great, and to our podcast listeners. I'm just going to go ahead and air all my dirty laundry during this workshop, <laughs> so enjoy you guys. Yeah. <laughs> So, Steve, just talk about a little bit uh, about your vision for generational ministry. Why is it important to you? How do you see that operating in the life of the church? Well, it's interesting because I was, as I was thinking about not just the vision, but like the relationship that I have with these guys and with our, and, you know, our whole generations team, um, is we hired Ben when I was on sabbatical. So I actually I knew Ben before we had done some conferences and things together, but um, pretty much the team hired him without me present. And then I didn't see Ben. He was on staff for like six to eight months before we actually (laughs) said hello to each other. And, um, and so that is a, is an interesting context because how does that happen? How does a, how does a, a lead pastor get somebody on their staff and, and, and they're already running before we ever even have a conversation. And, and so that's, it's really kind of what I want to talk about more than even just the vision for generations, because I don't, what I don't do is I don't come in and tell these guys um, and gals on their team what to do and what I want to, for them to do. We don't hire that way. We hire people who um, are visionary leaders who um, have some, have the capacity to figure that stuff out um, as well. And they understand what my vision is. And that, and then they implement that in their own context. And so that, um, for me is huge. And I think there's two kind of overarching values that, um, that, that kind of help us move in that direction. And one is authenticity. Um, like I'll be the first to admit that I'm not as connected to these guys as I want to be. And I don't know if it's that they want to be, they can talk about that. Um, but we're really open and honest with each other. There's not this sense of like, you can't say anything, you know, um, we, we're very much open to each other. I think the last speaker in our, in the last session said something about this, about, uh, inviting input. And it really is on both sides. There's a, I want their input and they want my input. And so there's this authentic, authentic kind of relationship that's formed. And then you know, we also have, um, a high culture of trust. Um, you know, um, I was, I grew up in a church where you had to earn it as a young leader, you had to earn trust, you know, by the way you did things, by how you acted, by the way you led and you could, you could earn it and you could lose it based on one decision or one thing. Right. And I just decided I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to have that kind of culture. So trust is given. It's, it's, you don't have to do anything to earn it. Um, maybe there are things you can do to lose it. I haven't even thought about that, to be honest. It's, it's really this, 
a, a trust-filled environment that releases them, empowers them, lets them do what God's put on their heart to do without me micromanaging their ministry and their life. And um, so those are kind of the two overarching values that I would say drive our vision for Generations Ministry between um, me and them. Um, and uh, they're they're not. I don't come in and here's here's the vision for 2018 for young adults and for youth or children. Um, I expect them to to come up with that with, under the covering of our overarching vision as a church, and uh, that seems to work really well for for me and my style of leadership and for these guys and the types of people we we have on our team. Yeah. So I've been at Westside only for a year. Evan, you've been there for for quite a bit longer than I have. Uh, how has this relationship worked out from your perspective? You know, he talks about there's a high culture of trust that we talk about hiring the right people. And that is uh, really a priority for us. It's not about, we're just going to bring somebody in and then we're going to kind of drag them into our own little vision and then make them do it. How, how have you viewed the process from your side? Uh, remember when Jesus was talking about um, the law and he said, you know, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've, you've committed adultery. Um, it's like, are you how is that a segue? Are you confessing wow. something right now? So Evan, or you can't lose trust. trust. No, um, <laughs> I, I think of that story because what Jesus was doing is he's saying, we're going to do away with the rule book, but actually the pressure's on to even raise your standards higher. And I see that in play here, where is in a micromanaging leadership situation, it's like, here are your expectations and I'm watching. Well, then you figure out as a young leader, um, how am I going to operate under that weight of those expectations? And you almost end up doing this kind of bare minimum performance to meet those expectations. Whereas in a trust-filled situation, that kind of heavy hand of leadership is taken off and say, hey, I trust you. Well, then as a, as a leader, I look at that and say, well, I really want to catch this vision. I, w- I want to raise the standard. I want to raise the bar of my leadership because I've been entrusted with this vision as opposed to that vision is being managed day to day, moment by moment. Steve's at my door watching when I arrive for work, making, you know, all those things um, that actually for me uh, in environments, and I've been in these environments when, where a boss has been uh, very micromanaging, what it does is it's, it really sucks the energy uh, from the vision that you're trying to you know, lead somebody in. And so in an environment of trust, I, what it does for me is it says, man, I want to I do even better to lean into the vision. I want to listen, catch it, and make sure we're enacting it well because of that trust. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I definitely experienced that, like Steve was talking about. I showed up on staff, and then it was many, many months before I even saw you. Like, I, I saw you at district conference, because you spoke, and then you took off um, for a while. And you weren't a huge part of the hiring process. My first interview was with... Um, or the membership of the the member of the leadership team that oversees generations, and that's Mike Alexander and Evan and our youth pastor Spencer Schauber. Uh, and then I saw you a little bit at my second interview, which was mostly like, yeah, well, we just wanted to talk to you and meet you, and that's it. And then I didn't see you much after that. And really, what that was saying to me was a lot of what Evan was talking about was that they've hired me to come on and to create some vision for this. And they believe that I'm passionate about it. They believe that I'm here to, to actually do the work of the ministry and not collect a paycheck and then do whatever they want me to do and kind of go wherever they want me to go. But instead I'm called to, to grab some vision for this. And it really is empowering. And I, I've been in, I'm a pastor's kid. I've been in a lot of churches and not everything is that way. And if you have a visionary type of student leader, they can very quickly become someone that goes, well, gosh, all right, that's it. I just, I'm 
I'm going to bide my time until I can get out of here and I can go somewhere else to do something bigger that I can cast my own vision for. And instead, this allows this allows and cultivates a culture where I want to stay. And I don't know if I'll be at Westside forever or you know, what I will do, but I have zero interest in going anywhere because I feel like, and I know that I get to accomplish everything that God is calling me to accomplish in my ministry because I'm being able to go and, and essentially, you know, for lack of a better term, going to fly as high as, as I want to, or as I can. Uh, and it's a huge part of retaining staff. I and mean, we have a hard time retaining you staff sometimes. That's a big part of retaining staff. And it's a big part of actually being effective because ultimately what we're after is seeing people come to know Jesus, seeing people discipled. Um, and There's no ceiling in our generations. Yeah. It's not like it's, it's this really what Ben's saying. The sky is the limit. It's, there's no like, um, well, I'm going to, you know, you, you can only go so far and no further. There, it's an open, um, whatever you can dream. Um, and we can figure out how to fund and however, you know, that's, that's what I want coming out of, uh, the leaders in our generation's ministry. I want them coming and having creative ideas because the rea- I'm not, I should not be the smartest guy in the room when it comes to generation ministries. If that's the case, I've hired the wrong people. Uh, we have the wrong people on the team because I, I there's no way that I should be the one, well, we should do this. And I've read this, this article and I've, you know. I want people that are, and whether they're um, on staff or volunteers, I want the, the the smartest people around me when it comes to these types of ministries, and in, and that's that's in every ministry, not just in generations, but specifically with this. And I think we have hired, we've done that, we've tried to do that where where they can um, really dream and really grow into. Um, their position and create it around their own gift mix um, rather than me saying, oh, I need this person that has these five qualities and, and I'm going to go out and look for that person. I look at who God's given us and I go, okay, how, how can God build around their gift mix? Um, if that makes sense. And if you think about a, a kind of a trickle down from leadership, if there's insecurity in the top levels of leadership. And so let's say Steve is a, a, high 10 kind of leader, but he's insecure. So he'll only hire eights or below. And then that methodology trickles down. So now these eights, well, they're not going to hire people more skilled than them. By the time you kind of get three levels down in your staff and your leadership, your volunteers, no one's comfortable enough to get anybody higher than a three on their teams because that's not how we run around here. You know, everyone has to look up to the the better person that's above me, and that's not how we run. And I am insecure, without a doubt. I think everybody is. And, <laughs> and I, that was I, my point. Yes, no, I'm to, kidding. I'm kidding. I had to early. I had <laughs> to early on. Around. I am. I had to early on realize that. Um, this church is not about me, um, and 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 it can't be. It can't revolve around me and my giftings. That when I put these guys on the stage to preach uh, to the adults on the weekend, and people come to me and they say things like. Uh, Evan is my favorite speaker at our church, or Ben is my favorite. And both of those have happened. Both these guys, somebody in the church has said to me, if not more than one, these are our favorite. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's in in my head. I'm thinking, uh, you know, I, I'm one too. I'm one of the speakers that you're ask, you're telling me this to right now. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> in the back of my head. And then that's the flesh, right? And then I realize well, this is exactly what I want. 
I, I want there to be a demographic of people in our church who gravitate towards our generation leaders because they're going to have mo- way more impact. You know, the, the statistic is, is I can reach people 10 years on either side of me, and you've probably have heard this. I can reach, I can connect relationally and in, 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 in uh, discipleship 10 years, 10 years older, 10 years younger. So that, my limit is, I'm 47, my limit is 37. Who's going to reach people younger than 37 and connect with them at a heart level where their stories aren't about grandkids, their stories aren't about their, their, you know, their college-age kids, which are all my stories, right? Um, it's rather they're connecting with those people in the church that I could never connect with. And the people in the church realize that, I, that these are my guys. They're not like Ben's not trying to start his own thing. Evan's not trying to start his own thing. These, this, is, this is a team, and they're really going for it together, and so they feel like they're part of – this church, my church, our church, um, at a, at a, at a higher level than I think they would. Otherwise. And that creates, that creates the ability for me. We, we take a lot of the structures off. Like I've been in environments before where I've been growing a young adult ministry and, and I'll talk about this, you know, probably even more tomorrow when it comes to young adult workshops specifically, but a, a lot of pastors that I've talked to and a lot of young adult pastors or people that are trying to start a young adult ministry have issues with that because the pastor sees that sometimes it's a threat because, okay, these are people that are coming to church under their own volition. They're not being dragged here by their parents. They are adults. And so what you'll see a lot of times is, you know, I I could come to my lead pastor and I could say, man, see, we had a hundred young adults the other Tuesday night. And the pastor would go, that's great. Are they coming on weekends? Are they coming and hearing me preach? (laughs) Are they tithing? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Are they tithing? Are they giving all of these things? And we've We've taken away that piece of the structure, and and I want to – my goal is to ultimately get them connected with the church, the big C church, because I don't want to just group people until there's no more groups left and they're 40 years old and they have nowhere to go. I want them to be a part of the church for the long term. That is my absolute goal. But we're both of the understanding to say, look, we want to see people come to know Jesus. And if they're only going to show up on a Tuesday night and and listen to you preach or listen to the worship that happens in that environment, then we welcome them into that space. We don't need them to cross off all these boxes and check all these, you know, mark all these dots and go through the thing because we have an insecure leader or because we have to have everybody in this space. Honestly, if if you're a super insecure leader, you set yourself up for a world of hurt because there are (laughs) – like I've I've talked to people in Bend and it's fun being kind of new-ish to Bend still. But people – I say, yeah, I work at Westside and they go, oh my gosh, that's Bo Stern's church. (laughs) That's another one of our speakers. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) And I'm like, oh yeah, it's Bo Stern's – oh, I know the Parnell brothers and they are awesome. You know, their music is so great. Um, And and a lot of people mention Steve too. Steve who? No, they uh, don't. don't. You're lying, Ben. Sometimes they mention Right now, they don't mention me. <laughs> but no, they. But, but there's an. I, so many people identify with so many different aspects of the church, and we're not afraid of that. No, and right. and ultimately, that's what's led to a lot of growth in this season of the church. And, and that mentality coming from leadership is what keeps guys like me and you from saying, like, man, I just wish they would let me do my thing, and they're not. And so I want to go start my own thing where I can actually. It's not that because you right. when you open that up in the space and say, Ben, like you said, no ceiling, do your thing. Then all of a sudden it takes that angst of like, I got to go out and do something. 
So, so tell me a little bit about Steve, then if we're talking about this culture of trust and how it's such a big deal within, um, the realm of generational ministry. So, so do you, what, what happens if you do feel like you need to make a change or there needs to be a shakeup on staff and, or maybe they're not aligning with the vision, you know, does that put you in now the, the area of controlling leader or, right. or what happens when, when we have to make yeah, that? That's decisions? a great question, Ben. And I think, um, it starts in relationships. So if, and I'll be honest, it's probably, I don't want to say this to you guys because I, I, I don't want you to become rebellious leaders, but if they, if I have a leader who is not on the same track, then I spend more time with them. And you're probably thinking, well, I'd love to spend more time with you, Steve. So <laughs> I guess I'm going to be a little rebellious. I'm going to top golf tonight. Right. Yeah. And so, but the reality is, is that I don't want to lose someone that I believe God's brought because of a lack of connection. And I'll be honest, I think that is often the case. What happens with leaders who go uh, are just five degrees off, um, that's on me. It's on me. It's on my. It's my responsibility to connect with them and try to bring them uh, to you know to or maybe I need to change you know and sitting down with that leader. Maybe I maybe I realize that I I've got some blind spots that that this leader is is just not connecting because of those things in me. So there's there's all kinds of things that could be going on with that. Um, and so we have to start with conversation. We have to start with um, heart to heart. You know what's really going on? How are we connecting? Um, and uh, and that's where I would start with a leader that maybe is five degrees off from where I w- I would want them. And I think that when we have um, when there's good trust amongst uh, staff, um, you can't get too far off before it becomes obvious. I think it's in unhealthy environments. Uh, where everyone's kind of siloed and doors closed and just hunkered down and working, where someone can really skew off from the vision or the the team environment and no one notices because everyone's just kind of like not having conversations at all anyway. Yeah, we've created a culture too of of real transparency. So anybody can have a conversation with anyone about the five degrees off kind of thing. So like I coach tennis at, high, at the high school level at one of our local high schools and um, – I don't try to, I don't, I'm not the guy that says you need to do this and you need to do that. The, the team is. So there's a sense of like the team comes around. If there's somebody that's just a little bit off, maybe they're partying on a Friday night and that's something they shouldn't be doing during the season, right? I don't the bad, bad guy to come in and try to correct behavior. The team comes along because of the overarching vision is more important of winning, in this analogy. And so the team comes along. We have the same kind of idea in our staff. Our team culture is that anybody can come in and provide input. Um, if they see something just a little bit off and I do, and I think that happens. And you made a comment. We were talking about services. This is probably years ago now. And you were saying, um, that you try to not ask the questions because you want to trust that the team that you've put in place is asking the right questions. So when it comes to changes that should be made or worships, not great here. You're hoping and trusting that your team is going to be asking the correct questions right. of why is that happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I first took the church four years ago from a, a pastor that had been 26 years as the lead pastor, type A, coming into the room, everybody was quiet. So I, so waiting for that guy to say what needs to be said to everybody. And I remember taking over and I come into a room and, and everybody stopped talking and they looked at me for the decision to be made. And I didn't say a thing intentionally it's not that i don't have opinions or what i think we should do i was just like i'm not going to i'm not going to continue to perpetuate this idea that the church revolves around only my vision and my leadership it has to emerge from other leaders around me otherwise what happens when i'm done 
What happens when I'm gone? What happens if something happens to me? Um, the church, the church goes. Oh, what are we going to do? Instead, now we have a such a strong base of leadership. I I believe that 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 stuff happens really naturally now. Evan, it's it's like I'll be in a room and and my executive pastor will say something that I would have said if he hadn't said it, or or our youth pastor will say something that needed to be said that I didn't even think about saying. You know, so it's awesome. I love it. And we've been really intentional about that, right? Now creating. You both kind of talked about communication within the realm of that. Uh, we have a really intentional structure actually put in place now, first of all, so that not every single question has to go through you or you have to make all the decisions. Um, but can you guys talk a little bit about the leadership team structure and how we put that in place and why we put that in place in the first place at Westside? Yeah, we have, I mean, real strategically, we have people in place that are um, like Evan doesn't directly connect with me. To be honest, there's very few people that directly connect with me um, because if, if, if as the organization grows, um, the lead pastors get in the way more often than not. They slow things down often. <laughs> There's only one lead pastor here, I think. Luke, are you a lead pastor? No. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, I feel like I'm stirring something I shouldn't be stirring up, but, um, you know, you know, <laughs> but, we, but I, I, I don't like to slow things down. So we have a structure in place that, um, you know, the, everybody's accountable to somebody, um, but it's not necessarily me. And I think that helps with this whole paradigm. Yeah. And, um, what I was going to say about our structure is it's not all great. I think sometimes even on our podcast, our, the criticism is that we're always like, we're awesome. But back padding and no, we're um, pretty great. Uh, <laughs> so I, especially I, me, the question I have about our structure and how things are, what are the, what are the negatives that we see that we're, that we're, well, the negative of this releasing thing is that you guys don't hear from me enough. And I, you can you can speak to this, but from my perspective, as I think about the tension that of of our model of leadership, is that um, I need to be more involved. You know, I need to have a little bit more input than I probably do. Just not 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 for the sake of the ministry, but for your guys' sake and growth and development. Because I, I have you know a decade or two on you, right, in ministry, and I don't feel like I'm investing enough. And so that's the, that's the, that's the dark side of, of a releasing paradigm is that you're not involved enough uh, in the development of your key leaders. We had to create a podcast just to get time with you. <laughs> we get 30 minutes every week. <laughs> it's, it's recorded. Daddy, spend time with us. <laughs> we do have time. I mean, like, we're, we're, we're in meetings every week together. But, oh, sure. But meetings are meetings. Lunch right. is lunch, right? Food, eating food together and having a conversation. How's your family? What are your kids' names? You know, I mean, that kind of stuff is a lot of, you know, a lot of pastors just don't know that stuff. And I'm, I would be guilty of some of that as well, of not being relationally connected enough. And that's actually, you know, one thing that the podcast has kind of done for us unintentionally is that we get to sit down with you and we goof off a little bit and we get to hear some really big vision and, uh, what's going through your mind when it comes to talking about culture? And, you know, we were in one of the more polarizing political climates that, you know, I've ever existed in. And, you know, how, where's the church belong in all that? Where does Westside belong in that? What are you thinking about all that? And, and we do get to have that conversation. It has kind of worked out. You know, I don't think we set out to, to just try to steal some of your time away, but it, it really has worked out that way so that we could have some of those, some of those conversations. And when so, we first started, I'd, I'd only ask questions like, are you proud of me? You yeah. know, but now, now it's gotten more. <laughs> the point so you've never asked me that <laughs> that's one thing i wish I, you would have i don't yeah it's I hard for me to have. do you like me I do. yeah, yeah. I do have, maybe need to know yeah and I, I i would wonder with this um with this uh i'm always the guy that tries to get serious again after we're goofing off like that but um 
I, w- I would wonder in the really releasing model that we're talking about, um, if they're, uh, if we're able to make, you know, transition leaders who are ready for the next step in the church or the next, you know, I, I don't know. We've got, a, we've talked about a lot of stuff at a really high level. We talked about church planning. We talked about all those kinds of things. And if it, if it is a releasing level and you're not all up in our business all of the time, you know, do you know, you know, the next step for that leader or that they're on the verge of that next area of their life that you need to help move yeah, them I think, into. I think lead pastors have to be involved in that conversation before the leader is starting to have those conversations at a deeper, deeper level with their team. <laughs> Yeah. You know, then you start talking with your team about church planting and I haven't even yeah. had a conversation right. with you, right? Like, uh, and then we just go, and I would one. say, that's not your bad. That's my bad. I mean, it's your bad. Sure. I mean, you know, right. initiate conversation with me, right. but I, I should know, right. I should know the condition of the leadership that's under my care. And I think that, that is a, is a huge deal in terms of that, that relational, relational connection. For sure. And I heard a pastor say once, maybe this is a famous quote that everyone knows already, but um, you know, you're going to, all of your leaders will eventually leave. And so the question is, will we launch them or will we lose them? Um, because those are our choices, right? Because nobody stays forever. Like no organization, hundred uh, percent of our leaders are just we're you know family till the end. No, of course, seasons change, people come and go, and so the question is, in those moments of transition, I think, how is that handled? Not will it happen? Of course, it's going to happen, but how is it handled? And I remember with a youth pastor um, before our current youth pastor um, going to the chaplaincy for the army, and so he came to me uh, as his supervisor and Mike, our executive pastor. Um, when he had made the decision to leave staff and, and join the chaplaincy. Um, and obviously that's a big conversation to have. I mean, that, it's pretty nerve wracking to be like, Hey, I'm leaving. Um, and I remember that moment and the thought that came in my head was, Oh man, you know, we just spent all these months getting you acclimated and assimilated and running. And, and so it was a huge, you know, downer to be losing him. But I, I made that decision, um, in that moment, like, we got to do whatever we can to fully support and fully be behind this transition for him into the next season. Because what's the other option? Well, what we do a lot, Evan, and we do this, the lead pastors do this. You guys can have the potential of doing this is we hold on. Like Ben is mine. This is my guy, right? He's not my guy. He's God's. I mean, he's got his own calling, his own vision. I think both of these guys are going to be senior leaders uh, one day. And so they're not, they're not mine. So when they're, when someone comes to you and say and says, I feel like I'm supposed to go, fill in the blank, whatever that is, um, what's your initial reaction? My initial reaction, and I'm not lying, you guys, is I'm excited for them. And I really am. Um, later, it hurts a little bit. Like, oh, man, we just – like you're saying, Evan, we just built all this. We've spent a lot of time. But my initial – my initial really genuine is like I'm excited for them. I'm excited for whatever that next phase is in their life. And I feel like I'm part of the development process, not the end goal. These guys are not at Westside Church, at my church, at our church, to serve the needs of the church. It's not, you know, it's not like I see them as worker bees to support the vision of the church. Oh, come on, that they're they're like children of God who have their own calling, their own gifting, and God wants to use them however He wants to use them. He's the Lord of the church, right? And so I, so it's I'm just trying to attune myself to what God's doing in their lives, um, as I am in my own life. And you really could, if you wanted to lead in that way, and 
if you wanted to lead in the way where, you know, they're just going to come work for me and then, you know, when they leave, then they leave or I'll fire them or whatever. Um, you, you could work that way and you could be pretty successful. A lot of that is, is due to Bend is a really desirable place and you guys could put a job opportunity out to Foursquare to whatever and you could replace people every two years and it wouldn't be a huge problem. Um, you know, it's probably the same in Beaverton, you know, Portland's a really desirable area to be. Um, and, and the fact that you still want to be able to, to ultimately raise up people that, you know, could be more successful than you in the long run, or could grow a church, you know, that's bigger than yours, or could go out and do other things really changes the entire culture of the entire staff. And, and you feel it from the ground. I felt that the moment that I started at Westside, hardly even talking to you, I felt that when I walked through the door, that this was a place where I could go and cast vision and, and create something. So, so with that said, you know, we only have one senior pastor in here. Um, so, so say I'm, I'm a young adult pastor and, and I feel like I'm in a situation where maybe my pastor doesn't feel that like you, I don't feel like he's excited when we have big wins and I don't feel released and I don't feel like I get to cast vision. Is there something that I can do? Well, I'm somebody? a passive aggressive personality. So yeah. I'll give you that, that, that first response. I'm not being passive aggressive right now. Send though. them. You're not, you're not, but I would say, I would say, give your senior leader this podcast. And say, I would love to have a conversation with you, Pastor, about this conversation that I listened to at the district conference. Um, and then it's kind of – you kind of put it in back into the hands of the senior leader to follow up with you. And it, do they care enough to listen to the podcast? That would say something right as well. Um, and so uh, that's that's the first – probably one of the first things I would do is just yeah. uh, try to try to figure out if somebody else can say what I want to say. But we, maybe there's not the relational connection to say it myself. Yeah. You know, have them listen to a, some something you heard from the district conference or whatever. You know, that's probably one of the first steps I would do. Yeah, and I, I want to make this clear too. Uh, if there are senior pastors listening to this, um, <laughs> I'm going to get that, emails about it. Yeah, about this. that that trust that we're talking about is uh, not it, it's not earned. Yeah, but it's not deserved either. Because right. um, at no point have I felt like. The, the trust you've given me, Steve, is a hundred percent, you know, deserved because I'm going to make all the right decisions. As we've seen, I've made a lot of really bad decisions because of the trust you put in me. A lot of bad decisions. A lot of bad decisions. Uh, but it's no, it's true. Uh, and that that's the side effect of an environment of trust. Is yeah, of course your your leaders that are working under you are going to make mistakes. Yeah, that that comes with the territory. Um, but that's part of this process, and the alternative is a bad one. Yeah, and the and you can try to manage that by control. So senior leaders that might be listening to this, you can manage that by control. But at the end of the day, you lose what you thought you had um, because control. All it does, in my opinion, is pushes people away, and it birth, it's birthed out of fear. And so anytime anytime I'm afraid, I know with a younger leader, I know this is not God. Is there's perfect love casts out all fear. There's no there's no fear in him. So so whenever I feel fearful as a senior leader with a person that I have entrusted something to, I realize that this is not from God. I've got to get with this leader wow. and spend more time with them and uh, and figure out why I am feeling uncomfortable and uh, and get to a solution. I I think it's I think the one of the speakers at the conference here said that. Younger leaders should initiate relationship, and I think that's absolutely true. But I would say to senior leaders that are here and listening, um, be the initiator if, if you can. Be the initiator of those relationships and those conversations before, before you have to have them. And then, that, and that, and then you, learn, you learn to trust them because you know them. 
right? I knew Ben before we hired Ben. So it wasn't, it wasn't like Ben was, a, was you know, I, who is this guy and what is he about, you know? I right. knew of his reputation and leadership right. prior to him coming on the team, and that, um, that was a big deal. Right. Trust does not equal being passive. No. You're not a passive leader. Yeah. Not just letting anything happen and then, well, maybe cleaning up the mess at some point. That's not it at all. And, and the, I thought of the parable of the talents that Jesus talked about when you say about leading out of fear. Uh, that's the, that's the two-talent guy burying it in the ground, right? I'm going to protect what's mine. I'm going to keep it safe. No one's going to come and take. As opposed to I'm going to invest – everything. I'm going to invest my resources. I'm going to invest my leaders. Um, yeah, we're going to send some out. We're going to have some holes in our structure of the church, but there's no other option that you get to where we please God other than investing what he's given us. And there's risk. There's always risk involved. I mean, I, I'm letting uh, Ben lead our young adult ministry as their pastor. It could grow to a thousand people. And it could be this really, I mean, dynamic, and, uh, and half of them don't like me, or half of them don't come to the weekends. Right. Am I okay with that? Am I going to be okay with that? Um, I hope so. I hope I will be. But there's a lot of trust here. And I'm not yeah. – and, and even, if, even if it didn't work out, like Ben had to you – know, Ben decided to plant a church on the other side of town and didn't have my blessing, kingdom win? Right? Maybe. Maybe there's kingdom win there, you know? And I just don't think that's going to happen because of the relationship that we have and why it's so vital. And I'm scared to do that, for sure. (laughs) Um, uh, Mostly of Bo. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, seriously, and I'm going to give you guys a a second to – we'll give you an opportunity to ask some questions about your own personal experience and maybe uh, try to go down that route. But um, uh, So you can start thinking about that. But real quick before we do that, have you ever been – have you been burned, Steve, with this whole um, – and obviously there are things that happen you know, within the life of all this that can be difficult or tough conversations. Do you ever feel like you know, there was a moment where you were like, I am not going to be this trusting anymore, and that's it. I, I refuse to keep going down this road, and I'm going to go back to more control. Have I been burned? Yes. Have I thought about being less trusting and more controlling? No. No, I can't. I can't. I can't go there, Ben. I just can't. I don't want to. I don't want to be that that le- that kind of leader. I just. It's actually not even in me. I mean, I'm not a controlling person personality, so it's not even in me. So that might be might be an unfair question for other senior leaders. Yeah, sure. But, I, but for me, it's it's. Uh, yeah, you get burned, but I would rather risk that than than be the thing that the the the, the pivot point in ministry happening or not in somebody's life. I don't want to be that either, you know? So I want to release and release and release. And, and I've made mistakes on the releasing end too, where I didn't communicate well and I didn't, I didn't follow up well. And I left somebody out there a little hanging, you know, and I, they got burned yeah. and they got burned because of me primarily. Um, and so that's, that's stuff that you just have to wrestle with. And you have to figure out where, where, where's the balance between involvement, release, how, how connected should I be? How disconnected should I be? How centralized should we be? How decentralized should we be? It's, that's that you live in that tension, um, and I think you just kind of figure it out based on your leadership gifts, your personality, um, who God's made you to be, um, and and do the best that you can. And as a staff guy in this environment, um, one of the things that sometimes I'll wrestle with is I want I want an environment of trust for me, and I want everybody else to exist in a control structure 
so that they do their, their thing. Evan, I'm so glad you brought this up because I see this all the time. Yeah. I'll be releasing like crazy. Like, you guys, you're empowered, man. Uh, you don't need to check back with me. Just go for it. And then, I, then I'm walking the halls and I hear that same leader I just said that to like way in their, their team's business. I mean, I'm like, what? I just gave you so much. And then, you know, I often say to my, my executive team, I often say, hey, you guys, no, I, I've like really given you a lot, you know? And, uh, and the stuff that you're trying, that you're controlling, you're controlling way too much. You know, you're controlling way too much. You got to release some of this. And they, and they're like, but that's scary. And that's risky. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, you like it so much, (laughs) but you like it so much. Yeah. And so I love it. Evan. that's exactly right there. It's God. It's, it's not just me. I hope it's not just me and my DNA. I hope it's the culture of our church and our team that they're releasing and they're empowering and they're raising people up and releasing them into their best giftings. And, and I hope that you guys are finding people in your ministry that could do what you do one day and that you're raising them up and you're hoping that they will get that opportunity here or somewhere else. Right. Bill Hybels used to say that, that, um, he said to, he said to his staff one time that if you, um, if you raise people up, you'll always have a job in this church. But if you don't, your time is limited. It's just a matter of time. If you're, yeah. And so I, I think it's, uh, it's one of the values that I hold. Yeah. And I think we look for that in new hires, um, is, uh, who like team building, you know, it comes up on resumes and things, but it really is like, is this a person, um, that is secure enough in their leadership, uh, to raise people up behind them and, and better than they are. Um, and if that's the case, man, bring it on, yeah. you know, it's awesome. You guys have any questions specifically from your context experiences, things that you're thinking about going forward? We'll open it up to you right now. How do you reach uh, disenfranchised millennials that are burned by the church? They were raised in the church, but no longer going to the church. That's a good question. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's me, huh? Um, uh, I've experienced this a lot. And like I said, I'm a pastor's kid, grew up in church. um, And now that I look back on my church experience, it certainly wasn't all bad. Um, Definitely not all bad. A lot of it was awesome. But I, I do, looking back now, realize there's some funky stuff going on <laughs> at some places. Um, and even fairly recently in my life, uh, there's been some, I've had some difficulty with what we're talking about right now, with some of this relationship between uh, kind of executive leadership in churches and being able to cast vision and move in that direction. And um, But even just reaching the individual that's not necessarily on staff is, is I'm sure, part of the question too. Uh, and really what it is, is, is being willing to get out of that normal church structure. I have a few guys that I disciple and I pastor on a regular basis and they haven't been in church for years. Um, and it's just, it's just being willing to take that time to say, I'm going to talk to them about the Bible. I'm not going to preach to them and I'm not going to ask them to come and hear me preach. And, you know, we're not going to go through the worship thing. You know, sometimes we're just going to sit down and we're going to have a coffee or I'm going to invite you over for the football game. And, and really reaching the disenfranchised millennial really comes down to, do you want to, do you want to be invested into this relationship over the long haul? Because that's what it takes because community 
this is one of the things that the church had going for it for a long time was that it was a community that you could connect with. And there weren't a ton of communities that were involved. But now, I mean, especially I think about a place like Bend, I think about all the different shops and cafes and brew pubs that I can go to. And then all the activities I can, uh, I can have community online, you know, and find people that I talk to about my favorite thing on a forum somewhere. And so the church isn't, just one of only a couple communities that exist in the community anymore. Um, and so it's being willing to say over the long haul, I'm going to create community with you again and again and again and again. Uh, cause, cause that's what it takes. It, it doesn't yeah, take would, a sermon. Anymore. I would echo that. Ben. I, you know, when my son, my oldest son, Chase, who's, who was a millennial died a little over a year and a half ago. Um, all of his friend circles looked to, to Suzanne and me as something to grab onto uh, with the loss of their friend. And, uh, and, and we immediately had an open door to walk into relationship. And even just this last weekend, one of my son's old bandmates, um, we just decided to go to their concert and it's the same band my son was a part of and he's not there. It's really, it's actually really hard to go listen to, to him play without chasing the mix. But there we were, right there, went up and afterwards said it was a great show, man, thanks. The next, the next day I texted him and said, hey, well, you guys want to come over for dinner, Sunday afternoon dinner? Um, they said yes. So they show up at my house with all the rest of my family and we're all eating dinner and talking. And, we, and I sat down with them for almost two hours and just talked about Jesus. I didn't talk. They were they, <laughs> they're ones bringing it up to me, you know, about the way of Jesus and how he's great. The Bible's a little confusing, but he's great. And uh, and so it's just really is like what you're saying, Ben. It's relationship. Yeah. It's connection. It's no. It's them feeling like I'm not trying to get something out of them right. or just something for them. Even I'm like I'm with them, and I and I and I'm one, and I and I care for them. Yeah, they genuinely feel cared for by my wife and I, and I think that. That's the open door. I can't do that with everybody, Brian. I can't do that with, you know, but I can do it with one, right? maybe a handful, right? And so I think if that's, if that's true of me and I, and I can tell this story and these guys can hear this story, then maybe they'll, like Ben's saying, and he tells the stories about these guys that he knows and other people hear that story and they go, well, maybe I can reach out to some of my friends that, you know, uh, are disenfranchised by the church. By the way, yeah. that's who we are reaching. There's nobody in America that is never heard a right. little bit of the gospel. Most people in our country have heard it and said no. Right. They've seen it in the church and they said no. So they've already decided that Christianity is not their thing. So we got to we got to rethink our strategy. What you're saying, Ben, of yeah. relationship connection, uh, maybe rethinking how we do church. You know, I mean, maybe church is now sitting in a living room again. Right. Meeting in a home. In a lot of context, it is. And I think part of it for millennials is that. It, uh, they see they don't like feeling like they're being sold something. The sales pitch, you know. Um, I don't know if you've ever hung out with somebody that wasn't saved, and you're like, "All right, I've got you know this golf game." Um, and around the tenth hole, you're like, "Okay, I got to tell them about Jesus before this is over," <laughs> and the alarm clock is kind of going off. Um, uh, I had a similar experience to what Steve is talking about. I joined a, a CrossFit gym at my uh, where I used to live in Klamath Falls, and. I'm not a gym guy. I don't love to work out. I actually hate it more than anything. And and I was going and you know, I was thinking, okay, this is a cool opportunity to be around people that don't know Jesus. I'm not going to talk about him. My goal and my ministry in this gym is going to be to work out as hard as the hardest guy works out. 
and, and I'm going to, I'm going to learn as best I can. And I'm going to try to improve and I'm going to create relationship with these people. And sure enough, two and a half, three years down the road, one of the girls in the gym got cancer. The carrier cancer came back. She's 21 years old. Um, and she died really quickly after that. And I, I found myself performing her service in our church. More than 500 people were there for her memorial and every single person from the gym was there. And I was about to talk about Jesus and half of the people from the gym gave their life to Christ that day. And I thought I did not, I wasn't trying for this. <laughs> I, re, I just wanted to be friends. I wanted to learn how to clean and jerk. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to do burpees, but they made me, you know, and, um, and all of a sudden I found myself in a position, those, those opportunities, um, I'll just say, especially for millennials, just because I work with them all the time, but those opportunities will always find you. If you just create that community and relationship, they'll seek you out. And I think the church, we can be really good at fighting the wrong battles, um, in pursuit of evangelism and converts. Um, and especially with millennials, I see this when I speak it or even have conversations, when you refocus the kind of the crux of our faith on the person of Christ and the resurrection and keep it there, keep the conversation there. Let's, you know, let's not dive into political alignment with, you know, what I think or what Pastor Steve thinks. Let's not talk about, um, you know, the minutia of apologetics right now. Let's talk about the person of Christ. Can we get on board uh, with who he is, who he was? Um, can faith be sparked around really the, the pillar of our faith, which is the resurrection of Christ? Let's keep the conversation there. And you know what? If you disagree with me politically, if if you disagree with me on on the account of creation or a whole bunch of other things, that's really good. Hey, uh, I think I think you can still have a relationship with Christ. Um, is your doctrine maybe off on some points? I think so, but you think mine is. But we can still come around the person of Jesus, which is, by the way, where our salvation is found anyway. Right? Um, when you have those kind of approaches to these conversations with millennials, they just light up. Yeah, they're disconnecting politics from faith more than any generation has. Um, they're completely disinterested in being a Republican Christian most of the time. Uh, just it's not not as much of a thing anymore. They don't connect the dots as much. They don't connect. Yes, this account of creation is exactly six days, and then Jesus, you know, God rested on the seventh. Um, they they very often want to hear about Jesus. Very receptive to Jesus, but yeah, not necessarily all of your apologetics are perfect doctrine. And by the way, there's another generation after millennials that's here. <laughs> yeah. 18 and under is a whole new generation. And yeah. so I think uh, as, as leaders, um, we have to remember that, that we're not just, you know, uh, greatest generation uh, boomers, millennial or Gen X, excuse me, Gen X, the forgotten generation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just did it, Evan. <laughs> Stupid. There you, yeah, go. Yeah, there, you there you go. go. <laughs> and then the millennials. There's, there's a whole other that? generation of millennials. <laughs> you don't even qualify as a millennial. Like, it's oh, worse than a millennial? Man. I don't know. You know? <laughs> that is a rough label. We're the refined yeah. millennial, right? I don't even know what the new generation is. They're called yet. Yeah. I don't know. Gen Y? Is that it? Okay. That's it. Okay. Um, and, and Brittany, you work with kids. You're in that, a whole new generation that's going to take uh, a new approach. Uh, and sometimes I think we just think like, how can we reach millennials? How can we reach the ones that are coming after that have a whole different perspective? Yeah, that's, good. that's good. Yeah. Questions, you guys? Next one. It's kind of 
leads into what you were just saying. But in the culture where it seems like the majority of churches have some, the body has some disconnect from generational ministry. They don't see the importance from zero through adulthood. Um, how do you express that to your congregation? How do you express the importance of ministering to every single age group and, um, and how they're connected and how we all need to have relationship with each other? Yeah, I would frame that even, you know, and I'm going to let you answer because you have the best answer. Um, I would frame that even farther that um, how, do, how do we create some vision for our church so that they understand that youth ministry and children's ministry is not babysitting? Yeah, uh, storytelling, really, is the best. I would just put that at the top of the list. Tell the stories of what God's doing in and through um, our children, our youth, our college kids, let them know what's, let the church hear the actual stories from their own mouths of what God has, has done or is doing. I think that's huge because then they, they start to reframe, oh, wow, they're really, oh, God's using them, you know? And two, um, most people don't know um, that, that there are needs, that there are gaps in, in kids' lives with godly men and women. Um, they just, they kind of assume, and I don't even know why they assume this, that yeah, those kids must be taken care of by somebody. Somebody's watching out for them, right? And to cast a vision, um, not just from the senior leaders, but that's really important, Brittany, by the way, really important that the senior leader is behind this, um, that they believe in this, that they're the ones primarily casting the vision, but everybody on the team is constantly reinforcing this idea that there are kids in, that, that don't have you know, maybe they're being raised by a single mom and she's just overwhelmed and getting them to church. That was like, that was, that was a win, you know? Well, who takes, who, who can partner, who can come alongside the single moms and the single dads and the, and the dysfunctional broken homes and provide some kind of guidance and hope? Well, the church, the church can do that better than anybody else, in my opinion. And, uh, and so I would, I would, this kind of casting vision to the body every year doing a series or at least one message on uh, intergenerational ministry and the importance of that and having, you know, like, you know, like we heard from the speaker, having a weekend where the college students may run the whole service. There's just a sense of like, we're part of this family together. When I first took over the church, I remember doing it one of our generation weekends and, uh, and a lady came up mad after the service. She was like mad at me. And I, she was an older lady. She was so mad. I was like, why are you so mad? You know, she's like, well, if I had known this was what you were going to do today, I wouldn't have come. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? She says, I've been there, done that. And I'm not doing kids ministry. It's very common, Brittany. And I was like, this is sad. It's more common than a lot of people. And so it's, like, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's a gap in vision casting um, because we, you know, we've just lost the narrative. You know, it's we've bought in to well, everybody's tired of children's ministry, so that's just the that's just the world we live in. Until you meet a kid who is on the border of of prospering or declining, and the only person that that is there is somebody in the church. When you hear that story, man, I hope it wakes people up to go, well, maybe I could be that guy. Maybe I could be that gal. And that that attitude can create even more division among your church too because who are the people that are placing a fairly high priority on children's ministry? Those of us who have three-year-olds. And then you have people showing up to church that go, I don't want to hear about that. I don't really care. I'm not invested. And then you have someone that 
really cares about it. Uh, and it creates a, a, even more division. You know, we've already got division in the church when it comes to, uh, you know, oh, I like the music louder and I like it quieter and I like this preacher and I like this preacher. And, uh, you know, I like people that don't wear skinny jeans and I like people that wear khakis and, you know, like it's, it's, we're, we're creating these divisions and that can create a, a major one within the life of the church if there's not enough vision. So Evan, this is like kind of your job actually to create a lot of this because you oversee all yeah, of the what generations. What are you doing about it, Evan? Right. And yeah. I just want to note that Ben is wearing skinny khakis right now. So he, oh. he's, he's generationally straddling yeah. uh, the lines here. <laughs> I'm uh, just trying to be accessible. But the tight as they are, he's not straddling anything really uh, that well. I'm just saying... <laughs> Anyway, we'll you put, say make fun of you on this we, podcast. We'll put this some pictures up on the website uh, so everyone can see. Uh, yeah, I, as you guys are talking, I'm just I'm just reminded that every generation we're all pretty self centered. Uh, we're all we all think of our own demographic as the important one. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's just human nature. I remember in high school, you think the whole town cares about what you're doing in high school, um, and then. You look back and you're like, no, no one cares. Actually, it's just those people who are in high school and their families, you know. But that's our that's our bubble, right? So whatever demographic we're in, whatever thing is important to us, we assume well, this should be the important thing. Um, and the fact is, in the church, we don't have the luxury of being a single demographic place. Um, there are churches that do that, and what happens? Maybe they start out as a, a college church only. Um, and then uh, they stay one demographic until 50 years later, um, all of a sudden that church shuts its doors. Why? Well, because they, they never had interest in becoming multi-generational. There's nobody to pass it on to, right? And so this concept of, um, and this is what I try to keep front and center whenever I talk about vision for multi-generational ministry at Westside, uh, is this, that if we actually care about what we're doing here, it means we have to care um, what happens in our city and in this place 40, 50 years from now, because we can't just care for now. Like this whole point of this is to pass it on. Um, and if that's the case, we have to care about taking care of up and coming generations. Yeah. And even our structure, Brittany is, is dysfunctional this way. I, I, if I have a kid, I come to church and I walk him down the hallway and I say, see you, Johnny. And I'm going to go do my thing and you go do your thing. And right. if you have a youth, you don't even, you don't even walk them anymore. They just tear out of the car and they go to their spaces and they, and they and everything is separate. Everything is segregated. And we do that on purpose. And there is a reason because you want to disciple them in a way, in a context that they can understand. You don't want them sitting in the church all the time, but are there times that we can strategically think about bringing the generations together and and having cross influence um, in a service for an hour a weekend, uh, you know, where where you've got uh, a sixty five year old retired vet sitting down with a kid who didn't have a dad. Dang, I mean, come on, that's like, and we can we try to help? Just even if it's just a, just give them a vision for that. Because and one thing the church can't do is like organize all of this. Like, oh, I got we got to right. connect the generation. Yeah, we just have good. we have to implant seeds a vision of what your life can mean by by investing into the next generations. Yeah, there's some good examples. I mean, we uh, we have a in our church a gold medalist from Rome in 1960. He was on the swim team, U.S. swim team. They won gold. Um, and he asked if he could come into our youth ministry uh, with our youth pastor, Spencer, uh, and speak and show off the medals. This is around this last uh, Olympics. And, uh, and, you know, he's he's a little out there, like, you know, just talking to him, you can tell, like, he's probably not going to bring this dynamic, you know, amazing speaking presence. Uh, but there was just a sense of, like, this would be really cool, like, to, to bring somebody who now is in his 
late 70s probably, uh, to come in and share his life and his experience and something that was really meaningful to him and obviously is impressive that he has a gold medal. And so he came in and, yeah, it wasn't a great speaker or whatever. No kids left, you know, gotten saved from him. And yet there was a connection generationally. And I think orchestrating those moments can be just as important as let's bring the hottest speaker in that can, you know, just wow these kids and make them come to Jesus. And in my experience with young adults specifically, kind of getting back to the disgruntled millennial kind of idea, the best small groups that I've ever, ever had for just young adults were run by people in their late fifties. Um, they were having 25 kids in their house and it was like, it was there, you know, and it's, it, I get frustrated sometimes talking with people go, well, you know, I, I don't really, I don't ever connect with those, you know, and maybe you're not going to connect with 500 of them, man, I bet you there's 20 people that could really use a mom and dad in a college town. You know, I bet there's some people like you were talking about, I bet there's some kids that could really use a 40 year old guy in your children's ministry to come and, and to kind of be, to dad that moment a little bit, you know, um, it's, some of it is just casting vision for that as well. Like, no, seriously, you can do this. And no, and not only that, we want you to. We really want you to do this. And so that I encourage our generations team to look for those people. Don't don't you know? We what we do is we 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 kind of beg from the stage a lot, and and so all of a sudden, kids ministries and generations ministries becomes like taking out the garbage. It's like, hey, everybody, this is what we all got to do. This is part of being a family. Are you kidding me? I mean, the kids ministry is not like that, you know. But if there are people that you want. In your ministry, you are your eyes open as a leader. These guys with our our children's ministries are your eyes open to the people that are in the church that you know and trust, and they're not, and they're just kind of there. They're taking up space, but you know that they could be life changing. Go and talk to them, and don't just take no for an answer. Go and say, "Would you pray about this?" Because I've been praying. And for whatever reason, you've been highlighted, man. And so we take some time to pray. And then, yeah. then and if they say, no, I'm really not me. And then it's like, well, let's just go out be persistent. I think persistence from the stage is, is counterintuitive. It's like, right. it's not, it's, it's going to start feeling like begging. Um, but telling stories, you know, isn't, yeah. I mean, that, that's constantly putting stories out there when kids get baptized. Oh my goodness. What an opportunity to tell yeah. that kid's story of why they're, why they decided to take that step, especially high schoolers. I mean, public steps are huge in high school. Why did they decide to do that? Put them on it, get a camera in front of them and let them just talk for 30 seconds about what God did in their life to cause that to happen over time. The, the generations will seep back into the hearts of the church, Brittany, because it, it's not right now. It's not in any church. I mean, very few churches. Yeah, it's absolutely tough. And that's one thing we've been talking about as a staff, too. Sometimes we feel like, well, nothing's happening. Like, the kids aren't whatever. But really, we've come to the conclusion of, you know, things are happening. We just need to get better at telling the stories. Thanks for listening to our live podcast here behind the message. You can check us out any week at BehindTheMessage.org or listen to our messages at WestsideChurch.org. We'll be back home next week with another message from Pastor Steve.